All right, I just want to read to you a few verses here this evening as we dive into the subject of soul ties. Pablo was talking about his class on finances. He says it doesn't matter if you have $5 or $50,000. I remember my weekly allowance when we were first married, the first seven years was $5 a week. (laughs) And I learned how to stretch that $5. God taught me a lot of principles in my life when it came to money in those early years. All right, I want to read to you 3 John chapter 2. I'm sorry, 3 John verse 2. The verse reads as follows. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. So God wants us to have a healthy soul. Let me read to you 2 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. Second Thessalonians, I'm sorry, chapter, th- where, where did I do? I think I got the wrong, here we go. First, yes, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only, we, our life when we get saved, we are sanctified, set apart unto God, but God cares about, as well as he cares about our soul, as well as our spirit, as well as our body. So God is very much into our soul, and he has a plan and a purpose for that. Now I want to read you one more here. James chapter 1, verse 21 says this, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls that word save means heal and make whole and so when we are born again when um we give our our heart and our life our entire future everything to the lord God instantaneously quickens our spirit with his Holy Spirit, but it is our soul that has got, is going to have to be healed, restored, uh, renewed, revived, redeemed, all of that. So there's a work, there's a real work of God that God is very much interested in when it comes to our soul. So the question tonight, once again, I'm just going to kind of give us a little bit of a brief review, and then we're going to get into this. Is your soul healthy? The soul entails your mind, your intellect, your will, and your emotions. And God wants to work in these three areas. He wants to work in our mind, our will, and our emotions. And he wants to bring those three areas of our soul into alignment with his word, his will, and the Holy Spirit. Some interesting verses, Psalm 23, verse 3, says that the Lord restores our soul. And I mentioned last Wednesday night that when we we think of that verse, the Lord restores our soul, when we're born again, it doesn't necessarily mean that at that moment, instantaneously, everything about our soul has been restored. Restoration is an ongoing process as we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we yield to the Word of God, and as we yield to the will of God. That is something our soul gets to experience. It gets to experience an ongoing, ever-deepening restoration because of the Holy Spirit, because of the Word of God, and because of the will of God. There's an interesting verse Jeremiah 17, verse 14, Jeremiah says, Lord, heal me, and I shall be healed. 
That word heal means to repair, to mend. There were all kinds of things that Jeremiah was going through. And he was praying. He says, God, I need you to, I need you to heal me. I need you to repair me. I need you to mend me. And once again, getting back to James chapter 1, verse 21, the word of God is able to save your soul. That word save means to heal. It means to make whole. And so as we journey through life, we're going to be up against things. The enemy's going to attack us. We're going to go through tests and trials. And we're going to have to understand that there's going to be times in our life where our soul is going to get affected by what we go through. And we're going to need the Lord to heal, to mend us, to make us whole. Life happens. Life happens to us. We go through all kinds of things. And, you know, I was thinking about Job and his trial. And there is a conversation that Satan has with God. And Satan tells God, he says, the only reason why Job lives for you is because of your blessings in his life. And if you take away those blessings, Job's going Job's to be a different person. And the thing is, sometimes when we go through things in life and they're hard and they're harsh and they're unexpected and they're, they are, they're just not what we planned on, we have to understand that we're in a trial and that the, the test of our trial is will we live and love God even if he takes the blessings away? Because the, here's, here's the critical part of that test is, it, is if you really are... God knows the very thoughts and intents and motives of our heart. He he will divide asunder our soul from our spirit. And if you are only serving God because of his blessings and the way you decide what his blessings look like and the goodness of God, the way you define that, and if you're only serving the Lord because of God's blessings in your life, you are in for an emotional breakdown in your soul. You're not going to be doing very good. And Job actually got to a place in his relationship with God. He actually said this. He makes an incredible confession. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Wow. So once again, if you're only serving the Lord because of what you have defined is the goodness of God in your life, and God doesn't measure up to your definition because you're living for him out of your soul, then you're in for an emotional breakdown in your soul. But you know what? You can go through stuff in God, and if your soul is healthy, you can be like the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, and you can come through the fire, and you can be stronger in God than when you went in. But you want you watch yourself, and it's interesting to observe humanity when people go through things and how they how they react when they're in that in that test and in that trial. I'm going to give you a very great. I think this is such a true statement. The number one thing the enemy will use is people in, in our life to bring about an unhealthy situation. The enemy will use people to bring about unhealthy relationships and an unhealthy situation in our life. So we've got to be on guard for that. He will bring a person into your life via some kind of a connection. Some kind of a connection. I think this is interesting. I heard this statistic. This is 
this is really disturbing, that 70% of adulteries are occurring through Facebook. 70%. Why? Why is that? Because people are connecting. And listen, they're not even face-to-face in person. They are connecting on Facebook. They are connecting emotionally. Maybe they're connecting because they find something they've got in common with this other person, even though they're married, and now they are connecting with someone of the opposite sex, and they are connecting emotionally. Or maybe it's because they share a common hurt or a common pain or maybe a common complaint. People are connecting on Facebook and 70% of adulteries are coming through Facebook. I won't give you a story. I won't name names to protect the innocent. But years and years ago, there was a Christian woman in my life and she had a bad marriage. And it was falling apart and they were filing for divorce. The divorce was not legally, it wasn't legally finite yet. You know how divorce takes a while. You have to go through proceedings and all of this. And she hooked up with a man on Facebook while her divorce was in process. And I don't even know how I found out about it. And I felt really compelled of the Holy Spirit to talk to her about this. Because it's not right. You're not legally divorced until somebody puts that final signature on that document and, and, and puts the, the period at the end of that sentence. You're not legally divorced until the legalities have been completed. Now, I'm not here to defend divorce. I'm just saying legally in the natural. And so I, 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 I met with her and I said, I'm a little concerned about what you're doing. She was already connecting with another man on Facebook. They were already setting up a date. And I said to her, I said, you are not legally divorced yet. In the eyes of God, you are still married to this, to your husband. And you know what her answer was to me? She says, I've been emotionally divorced for years and God understands. Oh, Lord. And I tried, I tried to, I wasn't like, you know, angry with her, but I felt, I felt a burden and a warning of the Holy Spirit to talk to her about this. And she would not receive what I had to say. She had already connected emotionally with this other man, and they were, they were making a way. They were making provision for the flesh, and they were setting up a date so they could see one another face to face. By then, it's over. It's over. You know, my husband always says, if two young people start um, emotionally, those feelings start getting stirred up toward one another, and they start being drawn to one another— if, if, if the emotion is, is predominant in your decision as to who you are going to marry, and after the fact, you start to think, well, is God in this? Is this the will of God for me to commit my, my life to this other person for the rest of my life? If that's secondary, if the emotional part of that relationship has, has sprung forth to life, my husband always says, it's over. It's over. It's a done deal. That's why you have got to be careful. Your soul is healthy. So the enemy will always bring a a person into your life to bring an unhealthy situation and to 
try to knit into your soul an unhealthy relationship through some kind of a connection. He will use a person. Now, he might even bring this kind of a person into your life. Someone who is an angry person. They are a controlling person. They might even try to oppress you. Have such control over you that they are oppressive in your life. They might even try and bring, the enemy could very well even bring someone into your life who brings heavy domination, heavy domination into your life. This is an interesting verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul says this. He says, he's, he's, he's defending his ministry in the Corinthians' lives, and he says this. He says, not that we have dominion over your faith, but we are helpers. Helpers. And there's something funky, something wonky. Something has gone sideways when, when someone is trying to have such heavy op- dominion over your life. Paul says, listen, I don't, I don't dominate your faith. I'm here to help you in your relationship with God. So do you have somebody in your life who's very angry, controlling, oppressive, brings heavy domination into your life? And from that, you can develop an unhealthy or an ungodly soul tie that manifests itself like this. It can bring intimidation into your soul. And you can become a very intimidated person. It can, it can get you all tangled up. It can cause you to be on edge. Always on edge. Can you imagine living in, in, in a house where you're always on edge? Where you, it's like you're walking on eggshells all the time. It's a miserable way to live. I ought to know. I grew up in a household like that. My parents were not Christians. And there was a lot of anger. It, at times it almost got a little violent. And you grow up in that atmosphere, and it's very unhealthy. And then when I got saved, Jesus was Lord of my life, and I had to, I had to draw a clear line in the sand and say, I'm going to serve God. And I had, to, I had to come face to face. I had to confront my family members and let them know, I'm going to serve the Lord. You know, I won't allow your, your, your anger or your intimidation or your oppression to keep me from giving Jesus 100% of my life. But I know what it's like to grow up in that kind of a household. I mean, my sister um, is 11 months older than me. Mom always said I should have had twins and just got it over with all at once. For one month, we're the same age. And she was always, uh, you know, she reacted to all this oppression and all this anger and intimidation through rebellion. She just reared up her, you know, reared herself up and she wasn't about to be, you know, controlled. And the rebellion manifested itself. And there was times in my family's house house where my mom and my sister were in full-blown fistfights. Hair pulling, fist fist fights. 
I, on the other hand, took the other route, and I chose to be on edge, intimidated, withdrawn, afraid. And when you get saved, your soul's going to have to get restored. It's a real thing. Now, I'm just being honest with all of you, but this is the life I came out of. And glory to God, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I know what freedom is, whereby you're free to live live fully, wholeheartedly, fully devoted, all in, surrender to Jesus. That's freedom. No matter who's in your life, I'm not going to let anybody intimidate me and try to tell me that I can't serve God and be fully surrendered to the Lord. Nor will I let anyone diminish that. I will not let anyone diminish that passion for being fully surrendered to the Lord. But you can get in, into some unhealthy soul ties in your life. And you know what? If, when those kind of people are in your life, they will steal your identity. You don't even know who you are. They'll tell you who you are. And they'll, keep, they'll put you in a box. And every time you get out of that box that they've made for you, they'll whack you. Get you back in that box. You know, you can, you can even be in an unhealthy uh, soul tie with someone, and it's abusive, and you'll stay in that abuse because your soul is unhealthy. And you can't even, you can't even identify the fact that that's not healthy. It's like people who grow up in abusive situations, it's just normal to them. So are you in an unhealthy relationship? You can be in an unhealthy relationship with another adult. What about this? God, the enemy can come and use a situation, even this kind of a person, an ex-spouse. That's a big one. I've seen it. People who have ex-spouses in their life, if they don't get healthy in their soul, they, it's like a magnet. They're like a magnet to that ex-spouse. It ha- that person has such an influence over their, over who they are. And they talk about that person a lot, even though maybe they're even already remarried. There's something about that. It's like an unhealthy soul tie, and they're, they're forever tied to that person. It's real. It's real. They get all entangled with that other person. Here's another one. Some people... This might sound really extreme, but I'm going to say some people are spiritually deadly in your life. They are spiritually deadly. Via gossip, they're gossipers. Or they're talebearers, or they're hurtful to you. Why do you want to be in a relationship with someone who every time you're in a relationship with them, they hurt you? Do you know God gives you permission? You don't have to live like that. It's okay to not be in that kind of a relationship. You know, you can set healthy boundaries in your life. It's not that you're hating on them and you're, you know, you're going out of your way to get vengeance on them. But, you know, it's okay. You can set healthy boundaries in your life with people who hurt you. Why do you want to be with somebody who's always telling you what's wrong with you? Always criticizing you or gossiping. Why are you drawn to a gossiper or a talebearer? Those people are spiritually deadly. And they will poison your soul. 
they want to get you all entangled, all tangled up in um, who's doing what, who said what. You know, God never intended for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to be so gnarled up and entangled in each other's lives. He did not intend for that. He doesn't intend for us to get so tangled up with each other's lives that you know every little thing about my life and I know every little thing about your life. He doesn't, it's not, that's not healthy. Now we are, we are knit together by the blood of Jesus and we have fellowship with one another because we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship with the word and with his presence and with the good things of God. But God never intended for you and I to get so wrapped up and entangled in each other's lives that we are way too wound up in each other's lives. Where we know everything about each other, and we know all the gossip, and we know all the dirt. And then we start, you know, then we start becoming busybodies in each other's lives. God, ne- that is, that, God never intended us to live a life like that. All right, there's my little introduction. How'd you like that? <laughs> All right, do me a favor now. Let's turn to Psalm 143. Just kind of laying the groundwork here of how toxic, uh, unhealthy, ungodly soul ties can be. This is Psalm 143. This is a very interesting psalm because this is a psalm about what I'm going to say is David's soul tie to his son Absalom. David wrote this psalm when he was fleeing Jerusalem because his son Absalom betrayed David. Absalom decided presumptuously to set himself up as, the, as, as someone who began to influence the people. He would stand at the gate, and when people would come and go throughout the gate, of David's kingdom, Absalom, Absalom would be there to speak kind words to them, to love on them, to, you know, connect with them. You know what he was doing, don't you? He was connecting soul to soul. People will do that. They will use their soul to connect with people through emotion, you know, manipulation, just wooing. None of this was godly because, number one, Absalom was, was in sin. God never put him in that position to begin with. He never was meant to be king by God. Absalom was so unhealthy at this point, but he was using his soulish. You know, some people's soul is stronger than others. And they can really do a number on people. And if you lack clarity in your life and you lack discernment, you'll be gullible to that. And Solomon was, or Absalom was connecting soul to soul with people and he was winning them over. He was, he was winning their heart. He was winning their emotion. He was illegal by, as he was doing, he was doing it unlawfully. People will, you know, people will trespass in, with their soul, with other people, you, you can do that. You can trespass with your soul into somebody else's life. But if you lack discernment and wisdom, you don't get it. And, it, you know, I, I'm not just interested in being connected to someone just because, you know, there is an emotional tie or a soulish tie. We've, we, we fellowship with one another in the spirit, First, that starts there. 
But Absalom was connecting soul to soul with these people, and he was working. The soul was pretty powerful. And people learned to, to fine-tune it and be very skillful with their, with their soul and with their influence. So Absalom was David's son. So you had these family ties here that were unhealthy. They had a natural soul connection, which is understandable, which God intends. Families have a natural soul connection. But a family can have an unhealthy, so strong, such an unhealthy, strong, soulish connection that it causes problems. And then you start getting into control. I knew a family bazillion years ago. This family, their kids were all grown up. They were all, their kids were full-blown adults. They had kids, lives of their own. And the mother in the family had such power and control over these adult kids that they were afraid to do anything lest they upset mama. It was mind-boggling. It was jaw-dropping to see the kindness, unhealthy soul tie that this woman had on her family. And God, that, that's grievous. That is the exact opposite of what God wants. God wants to promote godly soul ties in your family. Godly soul ties. It's like we raised our children, number one, you need to do the will of God. You need to figure out what that is, and you need to do the will of God. We'll help you, steer you to be in the presence of God, be in church, teach them, show them, encourage them, direct them into opportunities to be surrendered to the Lord. I told both my kids, listen, just because your dad and I are in full-time ministry does not mean you need to be in full-time ministry. You need to find out what the will of God is for your life. As a matter of fact, I've actually even tried to talk them out of it. Because I know. And I said, you better know because the devil's going to come after you and people are going to come after you. And it will be unlike anything you've ever faced in your entire life. So you better know that what the will of God is for your life if you're going to go in ministry. I tried to talk them out of it. It was a good test. It was a good test. They both said, no, this is what God wants me to do. But we raised our kids, you do the will of God. And I can remember when my daughter and her husband left for Colorado and months were leading up to their departure and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said this, he says, I do not want you to be a stumbling block to their departure. And so when I would be with Jake and Hannah face to face, I was cheering them on and celebrating what God was going to be doing. But in private, oh, I cried my eyes out. But I never let them see me do that because I didn't want to be a stumbling block. The night they left, it was, I believe, the last Sunday in the month of July. They were going to leave at 8 o'clock at night. They were at our house. And Jake got up first, and he put the kids into the car. And Hannah just sort of disappeared in the house. And I wonder, oh, where'd she go? She was in the kitchen. And we have this grandfather clock in our house, and it was chiming eight times. Dong, dong, because 8 o'clock was when they were going to go. She went into the kitchen. She was real quiet. She was in there crying. 
And she looked up at me and she says, Mom, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can leave this house and leave you and Dad. And boy, by the grace of God, I said, I'll help you. I'll help you. And I grabbed her by the arm. I walked her out that front door to the car. And she just stood there in front of that car. She didn't want to get in. You know what her dad did? He opened up that car door. He put her in that front seat next to Jacob. He put the seatbelt across her, her waist, shut that door, hit the top of that car and said, it's okay, Jake, you can go. And I left with my hands held high, waving at him and worshiping Jesus with tears going down my face because the Holy Spirit said, I don't want you to be a stumbling block. But David had an unhealthy relationship with his son. It had gotten way, way, way out of balance because Absalom, in the end, betrayed his father. He tried to steal the kingdom from his dad, and he forced his own father to flee Jerusalem, the very place where God had promised that David would rule and reign. So here we come to Psalm 143, and this is David's situation, and we're going to see how David's soul was so entangled with his spirit that he was really in big trouble here. His soul was unhealthy, and it was affecting his spirit. Now, Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is quicker, it's sharper than any two-edged, two-edged sword. It's able to divide asunder between soul and spirit. The reason why it has to divide asunder is because that shows you how closely entangled our soul wants to get with our spirit. And we're going to see here what David went through, this entanglement with his soul and his spirit. Okay, now what I want to do is there's 12 verses in this chapter of Psalm 143, but I'm just going to sort of just hit some stuff here. Look at verse 3. David describes his soul. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. Now this is about Absalom. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. His soul feels persecuted. Look at this. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been dead. Wow. Describe to me, what do you see here in this verse, how this, situ- this unhealthy soul tie that he has with his son, how it affected his soul to the degree that it affected his soul. Do you see that right there in verse 3? What do you see? I've been doing all the talking. Now it's time for you to shout some things out at me. How has it affected his soul? What's that? Defeated? He's big time defeated, majorly defeated, not just a little defeated, but so defeated, he describes it as being dead. Somebody can, you can get into such an unhealthy soul tie with somebody, they can literally affect you in ways that are so deep and so severe. They can mess you up. 
Wow, he's describing it as darkness, so he feels hopeless. If someone finds themselves just like imprisoned in darkness, how else would you describe that, that condition? There's a word for it. It starts with a D. Depression? Depression. David, th- this, this unhealthy soul tie that he had with his son and, and, and how it broke down and how it affected David, it took him into depression. And listen, I don't know if you've ever been severely affected by somebody to the point where, I mean, you feel like you're in like the depths of death and depressed. Have you ever been affected like that? And you get a, I don't know about you, but you get a wake-up call and you say to yourself, I will never allow my soul to get affected like that again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That relationship was so unhealthy that he fell into depression. He was, he was so tied to this relationship. So what else do you see there? What else do you see? I'll read it again. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Do you see anything else? Anything else comes to your, comes to your mind? Yeah. Yeah, he just feels paralyzed. He can't move forward. He feels stuck. You know, people, if, if, if you have an unhealthy relationship with someone and it breaks down, they can have this kind of power over you, over your soul. I heard this quote years ago, years ago by Tim Elmore. Anyone know who Tim Elmore is? He writes a lot of books. He, he worked with John Maxwell. He said this. We were in his presence one time. This was so long ago, years and years and years ago. But he said this. I never forgot it. He said, do, do not put your emotional health in someone else's hands. Because if they've got your emotional health, they're going to manipulate it. One of, the, one of the most amazing things God can do in your soul is, you know what? Okay, you might go off the deep end, and you might choose to be crazy, but I can still stay healthy. That's amazing. That's a work of God right there. That's a real work of God. And David's going to come through this, but right now he's just describing where his soul is at. Look at verse 4. Therefore, now he's talking about his spirit. Now, remember I talked about how sometimes the soul wants to get so tangled up over our spirit that we get out of order? When we get saved, what God wants to do is he wants to put things in order. He wants you to live out of your spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, responding to the word of God, the will of God. But when you're unhealthy, what happens is the order gets flipped back, (laughs) pre-salvation, and the soul wants to dictate and influence our spirit. It's kind of like, you know what? You can say something to me to hurt my soul, to hurt my feelings, 
But if I'm healthy, my spirit can stay strong. But look at David. Look at verse 4. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. He says, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. Wow. Do you, what do you think about that? Yes. Yes. He's letting what's happening in his soul take over in his spirit. And just because something hurts your soul does not mean that your spirit cannot rise above that. You you can walk in the spirit. You can choose to walk in the spirit. You can choose to say, Holy Spirit. It's like one time somebody um, said something or did something to me, and I went before the Lord, and I said, Lord, is that what you think? I said, go ahead, tell me, God. You can be honest with me. And I asked the Lord, is that what you think, Lord? And the Lord said, no. And he told me something else, but I won't tell you what he said because it was super personal. But listen, somebody can say something to you, if and And it hurts your soul. But if you're walking in the spirit, you can be able to say, all right, Holy Spirit, is that true? Is that right? See, there's a difference between living out of your soul and living out of your spirit. And when you're living out of your spirit, you're always bringing everything under submission to the Holy Spirit and the word of God and the will of God. Everything must fall underneath that. Everything must answer to the will of God, the word of God, and the Holy Spirit. You like this? I like this. This is really good stuff, don't you think? Good, I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoy this. But you're right, Chris. He, his soul was dictating to his spirit to such a degree that his spirit became overwhelmed. And when that happens... Is that good or bad? That's really bad. Why is it really bad? Yeah. So good, Chris. So good. Did you all hear that? Why don't you repeat that for everybody? Okay. When you when you let the um, when you let your soul infiltrate your spirit, it's like it, what happens is you, you get. And I've had this happen, and um, you you start losing your connection with God, and it start it starts slowly though. It starts you know you start do you know you start reading less of the Word. You start, and then you start praying less, and then you really think that God has something against you, or that God's really doing this to you when He really isn't, and it's just you allowing your um, allowing the soul to infiltrate your spirit. Very good, very good. 
And what else is so dangerous about when we get to that point when our spirit is overwhelmed, where our soul is dominating our spirit and we get overwhelmed and we start, like Chris says, we start thinking God is doing this to me and it's not God. But our soul is telling our spirit that and we're believing it. Why else is it really bad? Gives the, oh, gives the enemy a big time foothold. If he can get your spirit overwhelmed and then, boy, he's got you by the throat. And then, like Chris says, then you stop praying, you stop reading the word. Okay, why else is it really bad when your spirit gets overwhelmed? You become powerless in your spirit. You just lay down. Anything else? It is your, it's, it's your, the Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit. He speaks to your spirit. We think he speaks to our mind or how we feel. He speaks to your spirit. And, and I've, I've experienced this before. I've had the Holy Spirit speak to my spirit, and it's totally opposite of how I'm feeling. Completely opposite. Kind of like this kind of a thing. You're, uh, you feel persecuted. You're, you're crushed. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. You, you have to be able to keep your spirit healthy because that is where the Holy Spirit speaks to you. If you think he only speaks to you through your emotions and your mind, then you are going to get tripped up because the enemy will get in there. He will speak to you in your mind. He will say things. You ever had things through your mind like, where in the world did that come from? Or he'll, he'll manipulate your emotions. And if you don't have enough clarity and discernment in your walk with God, he's got you. And just because you feel a certain way does not necessarily mean God is saying that. That's why it's so important to understand what a healthy soul looks like. You got to be careful your soul doesn't get all tangled up with your spirit. You got to keep some, you got to keep a little distance there. That's why it's good to cultivate surrender in your spirit, every day of your life. It's good to do that. Cultivate surrender. Lord, I surrender to you no matter what's happening, no matter how I'm feeling. Your word is true. I magnify you, Lord. I lift you up. Your will is preeminent. Your word is preeminent no matter how I feel. That is why surrender and building an altar in your life is so incredibly important. Because it helps you to be able to fine-tune your spirit and then know when your soul is deflated to be able to say, but my spirit's not. But if you start neglecting your spirit and you start neglecting prayer and the word, you're all in, you're like in quicksand. And you can't discern. It's like when you're devastated and you get before the Lord and the Lord says, you're coming through this. Now get back up on your feet and start worshiping me. But if your soul has, has been dominating your life and it's got your spirit overwhelmed and crushed, you can't even hear that. You can't even hear it. 
I am so um, convinced and passionate. I know this is, I believe this. It is so critical. You must be able to hear the Lord in your life. You must. It is a must. You have to be able to know what God's will is in your life and what he is saying when you're in a situation. And so David is going through this whole thing and he's describing how he feels. Look at verse 7. Look what he says again about his spirit. Answer me. He's crying out to God. He says, God, I need you to answer me and speak to me speedily. My spirit fails. Look at this. Look what he, like kind of what Chris was just saying. He's... He says, God, don't hide your face from me. He he feels like God is against him. God is hiding from him. God will never leave you or forsake you. He is is in your spirit. He he is with you. He will not forsake you. His Holy Spirit has quickened your spirit. He's with you. But David was so overwhelmed by his soul he says, God, you gotta, you got to hurry up and, and speak to me. I'm desperate here. My spirit is failing. It makes me think of when Elijah was so intimidated by Ahab and Jezebel, and he took off running. Remember that? Because she wanted to kill him. And he took off running, took off running. And then he ends up in a cave. And God finally speaks to him. But how did God speak to him? How, how, is, how is God's voice described? A still, small voice. You can't hear a still, small voice when your soul is dominating everything. Oh, you got to get your spirit. You got to get your spirit in line with the Holy Spirit and with the word of God. And with the will of God. Okay, now let's get into some positive side here. David's soul tie begins to be made healthy. Now, let's go back to verse 1. He begins, he says, well, look, hear my prayer. He's praying. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness. What do you see here that David is praying for that reveals there's something healthy starting to unfold in his soul? What do you see out of verse 1? What, what is he asking for? What? Righteousness. He's trusting God. He says, God, I want your righteousness. Now, his son had just betrayed him and, and, and took the kingdom away from him. And David had to flee for his life. Now, the soul, what would this, if we left it up to our soul, let our soul dictate us, what would the soul be asking for? Vengeance. But David... I, I believe this is, this is the beginning of the process here. God is starting to untangle David's soul from his spirit. And David is praying something that's right. He says, God, I want your righteousness. Makes me think of Matthew 6, verse 30. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Not, not, ven- not vengeance, but what God will give you is a healthy spirit and a healthy soul. And even if you never get payback or you never get what you feel like you needed because your soul is getting healthy and your spirit is getting quickened, all these things shall be added onto you. What would all these things be? Everything you need. What else? All these things shall be added onto you. What would those be? Peace. Pardon. Yes. Yes. He's all these things that are going to make him healthy in God. You know, when you're healthy, do you still want vengeance? Well, if you ask my soul, yeah, but my soul's not telling me what to do. And it's okay. You're content. Oh, I like that. Ooh, that's a good one. Praise God. All right, let's get let's dig in here a little bit more. So he wants righteousness. He wants righteousness to reign in his soul and in his spirit, in his situation. Look at verse 7. I'll go back to that one. Answer me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. He's saying, God, I need you to speak to me. I need to hear from you, God. Give me a word. Why, Why do you need a word? Why is it so important that you hear from God? Direction. You need direction. So important. Look at verse 8. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. Direction. God, show me how do you want me to walk this thing out? How do you want me to put one foot in front of the other? Look at verse 10. Look at this. Teach. Now he's praying. Things are starting to get untangled. He's getting in order in his spirit. Teach me. Look at this. To do your will. He's praying for the will of God. His son just betrayed him, broke his heart. Drove him out of the very prophetic promise that God said he would have when he was just a teenager. I mean, all of his hopes and dreams, who he was, his purpose, identity, that can really mess you up. But David starts to get this unhealthy soul tie untangled, and now he's praying. His spirit is starting to come to the surface, and he's praying all the right things. God, show me your will. And I believe God has he, has, he has something to tell you in your situation. I do. I believe that. I think you need to seek God until he speaks his will to you. It's imperative because you've got to be able to get your spirit first. Because if you don't live out of your spirit, you're not going to be healthy. 
But listen, God has something to say to you and me about every situation we go through in life. Every situation. It doesn't matter. I don't care if it has to do with a child, a spouse, a, a boss, I know, or neighbor. It doesn't matter. God has something to say about every single situation. And he wants to sh- tell you how to walk this thing out. When I um, got saved, I so, so, so wanted my mom and dad to be uh, great Christians and wonderful, godly Christian parents and grandparents to my kids. They, they never were. They never were. They were just, you know, lost and broken and all upside down and inside out. As a matter of fact, when my, they, we were here at that, at that one point in time when the Lord spoke to me, we had probably been here about 25 years my mom and dad never has, had ever stepped foot in the church. They never saw it, never came here. When my kids got married, they wouldn't come to their weddings. They never saw any, either one of my kids get married. And so, you know, your heart grieves over that. Your heart grieves over that. And then when I was raising my kids, I so much wanted my mom and dad to be great grandparents to my mom and dad. And they weren't. They just didn't care about my kids. And I can remember just trying to walk that through. God, help help me, Lord. I don't want my soul to dictate my spirit. Lord, you've got something to say about this. And I'll never forget, I was about 32 years old, and, and Masson, I was in my kitchen mopping my floor. I don't know about you, but when I do housework, boy, I just talk to the Lord. And I remember I was just grinding that mop into that kitchen floor, and I was talking to the Lord about my mom and dad, and the Holy Spirit gave me direction. And spoke to me about my mom and dad. And it healed my soul. He said this. It's not your responsibility to make them better parents. And I don't know why. But when he spoke that to me. It set my soul free. And it brought healing. It brought healing. Nothing ever changed with my mom and dad. You know my dad's gone. And my mom's 82. Nothing's ever changed. But the coolest thing is, my kids never knew how I felt. I never put that in them. I didn't transfer that into their soul. I didn't make them hate their grandma and grandpa. As a matter of fact, my kids are great. They were great with my mom and dad. The few times, you know, they talked to them on the phone. Hannah calls up grandma every now and then just to say hi and tell her she loves her. My kids never knew what I went through. I didn't put that on them because my soul got healthy. I got free. Nobody owed me anything. I'm happy for you if you have awesome parents and grandparents for your kids, but that's all right. I'm content. Isn't that awesome? How good is God? Hallelujah. He restores our soul. He mends us over and over and again, no matter. But I believe God has, has, a, has a word for you for whatever situation you are going through. And he wants you to be healthy. And we get healthy by saying, like David, he started praying, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. That's amazing to me. Amazing. Now, I love this one. I saved the best for last. I love verse 9. He prays this. He says, God, deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. I I just want to take the last couple minutes and talk about deliverance. I think sometimes 
your soul could get so entangled around your spirit because of what you went through or whatever, whoever affected you, or you, your soul can be so unhealthy in a relationship that your soul needs deliverance. Some things God has to break. He just has to break it. He can't just, you know, stroke it, pity it, feel sorry for it. Some things God's got to break in your, in your soul. He's got to bring a, a, a deliverance to you, a setting free. Now, that word deliver, I looked it up. It means many things. It means to defend, to cause you to escape or be snatched away, to preserve you, to rid you of whatever this is that's affecting your soul, to cause you to be recovered, to bring about the power of one entity over, overpowering another entity. In other words, the power of God can come into your soul and overpower the power of that unhealthy, ungodly soul tie. I believe this. I believe that the power of God is greater than any unhealthy soul tie that you and I could ever have. I believe that. I believe God can deliver us and break that in Jesus' name. So I'm going to end with this. I'm going to end with a a prayer of deliverance. That the power of God would overpower any ungodly soul tie that you have. That you would be free emotionally, mentally, that your will would not be manipulated and controlled, but that you would be free to obey God, serve God, and follow the Lord no matter what anybody says or does. That's deliverance. So let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, I trust you. I trust you with the power and the wisdom of the word of God. And I trust you, Holy Spirit, that you are providential. And I believe even if it's just one person in this room tonight who needed to hear this word, Father, in the name of Jesus, I bring them into your presence. I bring them into the throne room of God right here and right now. Holy Spirit, come and bring the overcoming miraculous, victorious power of God and overpower any ungodly, unhealthy soul tie in anyone's soul right here, right now, in the name of Jesus. Break it, Holy Spirit. Break it. Bring it to its knees. Holy Spirit, come in like a flood in their soul. Bring a freedom. Bring an emotional freedom. Bring a mental freedom. Bring a freedom in their will, whereby they experience a freedom to obey you, to serve you, and follow you, no matter what that other person will say or do. Lord, I thank you for the victory that you won for us at Calvary. I thank you for the powerful salvation that you went through for us at Calvary, not only to save our spirit, not only to someday redeem our body, but Lord God, to save our soul, that we could be sanctified body, soul, and spirit. So Father, in the name of Jesus, Be set free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And the church said, amen. Can we just give God some praise? Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Amen.
Well, we're dismissed. I'll see you all next Wednesday night.